Halloween tells the story of Michael Myers, who on Halloween night in 1963, murdered his older sister when he was just six years old. Michael was then sent to Smith Grove Sanitarium, where he stayed for over a decade and became Dr. Sam Loomis, aka Donald Pleasant's patient. Fifteen years later, on October 30, 1978, Michael escapes and returns to his hometown in Haddonfield, Illinois, where he begins to stalk Laurie Stroll, Jamie Curtis, and her friends. Laurie became the only survivor of Michael's killing spree that night and continued to be his target for a couple more movies. However, the Halloween franchise has gone through a couple of recons, but let me tell you how Halloween plays into the dynamics of our society. So what I want to share with everyone today is I want to talk about the movie Halloween. And I chose Halloween because for one, it is truly a very iconic film uh, from the writing to the directing uh, to the musical score uh, everything everything about the Halloween franchise uh, when it was initially developed was top tier and in many ways it was ahead of its time I'm going to talk about that in a few minutes but I'm doing this podcast because someone asked me to do it like that I love the insight on film, man, and I want to get your, your dynamic story. If you think about Halloween, what is the good film? And so when I went to discuss the film, what they quickly found out was, you know, I like to use film to think about the narration of it and how it relates to our everyday society. So as you look through the seasons, you'll see uh, within season one, I did a a quick one about the movie Evil Eye and how we can use that film, you know, just the dynamics of that film and understand the the psychology of our world, right? Of everyday things around us and people and et cetera. Halloween is no different. It is actually a truly uh, masterpiece of a psychological thriller. I know they classify it as a horror. But the movie itself is truly a thriller, and it's and it's more it's more about the, the psychology behind it than it is anything else. And so let me break that down to you guys, right? So if you if you are new are new new to the Halloween franchise, if you're just watching it for the first time, I'm gonna tell you this: I recommend you watch Halloween 1978. And then the 1980 version, or was it 79? Can't really remember. But Halloween one, Halloween two. Those are the first ones you need to watch. The very first original. And then once you watch those two, then you, then I want you to fast forward into again, follow the John Carpenter's direction, uh, production, right? Because 1978 is going to be John, uh, John Carpenter, Deborah Hill. And some more, some more well-known uh, names. Uh, I like Mastida Khan. Uh, I think who did, did the score. 
um, if I said that name correctly. But nonetheless, you watch those two, and it's okay if you watch three, four, five. But I recommend Halloween one and two, 1978 version, and then fast forward to 2018 uh, or 2019. It was 2019 when uh, when the Halloween came out of 2019. Again, all of these are under John Carpenter. Uh, production. Um, and then watch this the one. Watch Halloween Kills, right? Reason being is because if you watch Halloween Kills, Halloween Kills is a great thing. I, I give it a B plus, right? Um, I, I can't give it an A at this point, and I'm thinking it still has room to grow with that until I see uh, Halloween ends. Because they're, you know, because obviously Halloween Kills is really kind of a, um, a prequel, you know, to Halloween Ends. Because what they're doing with Kills is they're setting, they, they're, they're trying to replay the storyline for you by showing, by giving you the storyline of all the characters. And so another most important thing when you watch Halloween is to, Think of Halloween franchise as a soap opera or a sitcom, right? Meaning, digest yourself into the characters. Understand when you watch it. See, most movies we watch, right? We we watch them and, and it's just for entertainment. We watch the plots. We don't really dig into the plot, right? Well, Halloween is one of those films you have to dig into the plot to understand it. And once you dig into the plot, once you're able to, once you know every everybody's character, the people, their, you know, their name, their place in the film, and their place in the original film, it make it would make Halloween Kills so much more better. Like you know, and again, like I said, I give it a B plus. I don't give it an A at this point because I want to see Halloween in. Uh, because I wanted to see. Because from watching Halloween Kill, Kill, it seems it almost seems that it could have actually been before the uh, twenty nineteen Halloween. In, in my in my opinion, right? Because of a lot of the things they did, kind of go back, go hand in hand, and the storyline is you know they've been, they've been they have been doing great with the storyline because they have been following the cast members. And as the cast member has gotten older, they have been redirecting the, the storyline to fit the ages. And so that's one of the most significant factors that you will find. You know, and again, like I said, before you watch Kill, go and watch 1978 version. Um, it would do everything you watch in Kill so much more justice, you know, for one, you'll understand who Tommy is. You'll understand who Laurie Stroh is a lot better. Um, uh, you'll understand who the uh, Nancy, the little girl that was uh, also in the, you know, because again, everybody now are adults. 40 years later, they're, they are adults. And you, you will begin to see, you'll be able to put the puzzles together for what you're saying and kill. Because um, some of the reviews I watched, I uh, read, shall, shall I say, 
I heard a lot of people say, you know, it seemed like they threw the plot together. And it seems that way. And I agree with that. It seems that, but it, it, it seems that way because, you know, just like with any movie, you know, whenever you're creating a film with film or any kind of writing, and there's going to always be a large portion of a society that doesn't know your storyline and you have to start and you want to, and again you you want to be you know you put out a big, big time production or anything you do right you want it to be the best of it you want it to hit top charts and you know the only way you can do that only way you're going to be um, but at the same time when you have a franchise and you are the author of that franchise you don't want to deviate from that, you know. You want to save that as much as you can, you know. You don't want to, you know, you can't be the original. I, I'm the, the person that originally made this film, but then when I do remake it, I give you a version that Rob Zombie gave it. You know, I give you the version that they did in uh, H2O, <laughs> you know. Which to, which to be fair, by the way, H2O is actually pretty decent. It's actually pretty good because it could actually go along with, go along with, uh, right back in the middle, right? Because again, everything, every sequel that has Laurie Strode in it is going to be what you want to see. And you want to see those in order, right? Uh, but again, once again, you watch part one, um, 1978, everything just is going to make sense to you. And one of the biggest factors of that, one of the biggest things, because there's a big piece to this puzzle of uh, the 2019 and the Halloween and the 2020 version that everybody is missing. And that is Dr. Loomis. Dr. Loomis, uh, aka Donald Pleasant. He was the doctor in the film. Um, he was the, the initial uh, psychiatrist that uh, when young Michael was arrested uh, and put into uh, the institution, he was his doctor. You know, he was his therapist. He was his psychiatrist. And within that, Dr. Loomis' position it's very vital, right? It's very vital. And I'm going to break that down to you. And I'm going to tell you how this is going to be where the plot of everything I'm saying with the film comes in. And it's going to, um, again, uh, without even give, without giving any spoilers to the film, um, I'm just here to give you a, a, a dynamic for how you can uh, swallow the film and the basis of it. And and be right on the same track with a lot of people that love it, you know. Because those who are fans of the Halloween franchise, we're fans for many reasons. Uh, but I'm fans for this one particular reason, and I'm going to tell you why.
So Dr. Loomis stands out in this film so much because his whole mission was, you know, after he, uh, you know, worked with Michael, studied him. And again, you know, there wasn't much, you know, uh, communication between Michael and him because, again, you know, you would hear him from time to time in, in some of the uh, hot verses, you know, uh, some of his hottest lines, he'll say that, you know, you know, he talked to him, you know, and Michael would never speak a word. He studied him for years and Michael would never say a word. And it was this, because at the end of the day, the whole reason behind the dynamics was that, you know, him being studied was that we're trying to understand why he killed his sister. Yeah, because that's what initially happened in the first in the first when he went uh, he killed his sister. So Doctor Loomis' idea was, let me study this child. What is going on with him? Was he neglected or abused? And keep in mind, you're talking about a young child, adolescent. Um, who most likely was bullied growing up, uh, which is kind of one of those dynamics that Rob Zombie put in consistent, right? Uh, because when Rob Zombie made the film, he made sure that he wanted, that he captivated on that. Uh, he focused on Michael a lot. And so you had a lot of that in Rob Zombie's version. Um, and so I'm sure when Deborah Hill wrote the script, I'm sure that that was a part of the menacing aspect. Um, but nonetheless, Dr. Loomis' job, you know, was to understand why did he kill? And, and why is he emotional? Why is he doesn't show emotion? Uh, why is he not showing any emotion or, or, or sadness for uh, that murder? You know, what, what is going on with this child? You know, we understand that when Michael was found, you know, his mother and father was obviously off somewhere. He, he fell home with teenage sister. Actually, uh, you know, she wasn't really babysitting him. She ignored him. She was, you know, having sex with a boy. So in, in, you know, uh, you know, or in, you know, or prepping herself to engage in an activity or, or but again, once you watch the original version, you'll you'll you pick up on it, right? And so you have a lot of that playing into the psychology. And at the end of it, at the end of all of it, just fast forward, when Michael breaks out of the institution and he goes and he hunts down Lord and or or in his path through that way, you know, to find Lori, uh, you know, he kills several teenagers and et cetera, et cetera, right? And when Dr. Loomis finds them at the end of part one, and they, you, and again, in Halloween Kids, you hear them talk about Dr. Loomis that he shot him at the time. So when, when Michael was eventually found, tracked down by Dr. Loomis, Dr., when Dr. Loomis began to track him down, his, his main MO was what I've learned from studying this child all these years. 
is that there's no reasoning with him. You can't talk to him. You can't, you know, you can't communicate. And in essence, he's pretty. So the point was, no matter what you do, you cannot stop him. And and some of that epiphany, epiphany, I think, for Dr. Lewis, dug in when when Michael escaped, and then the, the killing happened into the small town around the field where nothing happened. Right? That's gonna be one of the famous lines you hear. And when he shot him eight times, and when he looked for Michael, Michael was gone. Right? I think it was at that moment, because that is one of the heightens of the part one, part one uh, scene. Is that Doctor Loomis shot shoots him eight times, or was it six? Can't remember. It was eight or six, and Michael survived that. It was at that moment Doctor Loomis understood. He is free, and so in Halloween Kills, Laurie Strode's character has a a powerful line as well. She has several. There's several powerful lines, but as you know, but one of the most powerful lines is she said, "No man can have survived that fight. The more he kills, the more he transcends." And this transcending is 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 talks about transcending into darkness, and so uh, officer, he has a very significant line of will, and one of his lines talks about that. You know, he has, he's a six, he has a mind, he's, he's a six year old child with the strength of a man, and a mind of an animal. So let's. Take all those things we just said, right? That I just said, and let's talk about the sociology behind it and behind everything. Because throughout the entire film, there's bits and pieces of chaos going on. You know, there's, there's Michael's on the loose. You know, he's he's killing, just killing, 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 and and. The fact that that what what happened in this small town happened so many years ago, they people never forgot that because it was, it's a small town. Okay, this is the psychology and and the sociology behind it. This is a small town, remember, and a town where nothing really happened, and so. You know, you're talking about back in the day, back in the 80s, 70s, where small towns like that, they were able to, they would leave their, their house a lot, you know. And again, this is the mind, this is the thought process of the script. Um, but nonetheless, this used to be a, a large realm of reality. And in many cases, it's still a realm of reality in some areas of the country. There are small towns where everybody knows everybody. And if something were to happen on that magnitude, it would be a crime that nobody ever would forget. It would be something they talk about forever. And so this is one of those dynamics. And so when you get this, 
Now you have the people in that same town by Michael not being, he didn't go to the gas chamber, they didn't put him in an electric chair. They just locked him up. They just locked him up, put him in jail, put him in, put him in a psychiatric ward, chain him up. That's it. And so when you hear about, you know, so when 40 years later, you all are grown, you know, you're 40, 50 years old, you know he is, you know, and everything you know about the story behind it, you know, there's no, you know, whatever, right? This person is still living. And so when this person breaks free or breaks out, shit, it's pandemonium. Because it's like, okay, where yet? <laughs> where yet? And, and so again, watching part one and part two will give you a lot more insight because, it, because there was a lot more murders that happened in part one and two than the way they kind of describe it in the dynamics and in, in in how they were killed, right? So there's so much that happened back then, which is why the town is so traumatized. And given the fact that there was the same type of pandemonium where, you know, everybody in such, you know, the police, they was in such a hunt to hunt them down, put a stop to them that they killed an innocent young child. Uh, you know, now that is one sport. Right? So I'm not going to tell you which version that is. But again, you know, uh, you will see some of that same dynamic play into Halloween Kill which is the masterpiece of script writing, okay? So again, once you watch the part one and two, everything else gonna make sense. Then you watch Kills. Or if you watch Kills now, go back and watch one and two. Okay, so now I'm gonna dive into a little further um, because if I continue to talk about that, it may spoil the film. Let's dive into the social dynamics of this. In today's society, we have a system in place for murders. And there's a tier for every type of crime, right? There's a classification. There's a charge. There's a sentencing. There's all these policies in place. One of the many things that plague our society when it comes to area of crime because you have violent, then you have nonviolent. But then even with violent crime, you have categories that separate that from first degree murder, manslaughter, such, 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 and therefore, therefore, therefore. Right? There's many, there's many steps. And so let's talk about people who commit intentional murder or mass murder, right? And how, how I present this is I don't care if this person just killed one person. 
It's all about the intent, right? The intent is the most important thing. So we have, we have this thing about our human nature that we now leave so much room open for these things, this kind of mentality to infect our mind, to infect our judgment, et cetera, et cetera. People are committing murder left and right. One of, one of the reasons they're not scared to go to jail, they're not scared of the consequences. You know, I don't know if it's too many reality shows where they show people in jail and show how they're living, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know what it, what it is, but murder has risen drastically. Now, again, there's several factors for that. There's different places of it. You know, again, I mentioned that before. You always, you know, that's the whole purpose of you having a system and a judging system and a court system. But let's talk about intentional murder and mass murder or things people do that are just pure evil, such as molestation. pedophilia, uh, rape. See, here's where Dr. Loomis' disposition comes in at and how it really plays into our society and how we should really look at some of the dynamics that this film is, is, is teaching and reevaluate the way we see our society, our reality, right? Because people are committing mass murders in, in our reality. People are committing rape. People are committing crimes against children. But we are not, as the citizens of our society, we are not advocating for stricter punishment. Let alone, we're not advocating for the eradication of evil. So in the many faces of the film, the position is very simple. Dr. Loomis is basically telling everyone, you can not rehabilitate evil. You can't rehabilitate it. You can't reason with them. You can't just, you can't sit down and have a conversation. You can't sit down and try to dissect why he did what he did. It's pure, he's pure evil and you have to destroy it. Nonetheless, what Laurie and them, uh, what eventually may end up happening is again, you have, you know, uh, one of Laurie's famous lines on how do we kill Jerry? You can't defeat it with brute force. So you can't you can't beat him. You can't beat him to death. You can't stab him to death. You can't shoot him to death. You have to decapitate him. You got to cut off evil at his head. You got to get rid of his entire essence of his human existence. And so what I'm diving into, right? A lot of people may 
take what I'm saying and be like, oh my God. And it sounds, you know, it, it sounds horrible what you're saying. That you're saying that we, you know, people who commit murder, it's what we should do to them. No, what I'm saying to you is, the whole point of the message is this. We have so much sickness going on and evilness going on in our society. And it's growing. And one of the reasons for that is because there's no consequences for these actions. And there are no real, um, so there's, there's, there has not been any real uh, punishments or, or not to say punishments. There's something else I'm meaning to say right now. Or there hasn't been any uh, real consequences, you know, or, or punishment for these crimes, you know. Someone kills 18 people right now. Guess what we do? You know, we most likely put them on trial, sentence them to life 25, 30, 40 years, 60 years, 70 years, and we let them sit and rot in jail. You know? And again, we may say without the possibility of parole, but again, because of the way our court system is set up, this person can get off on technicality. You can have corruption in, in, the, in, the, in the, which you, which we already have. You got corruption in the legal system. You got corruption in the way that the prosecutor do, does the case because they're trying to prove the case or because they just ignorant. And there are cases of people like uh, people who commit murder who get off. You don't hear about these things in the news because they don't want, they don't show you those things. But there are countless of cases where people commit murder, rape, abuse, and they get off because of technicalities or they get off because somebody else didn't do their job. Right. These people go back into the system. I mean, go back go back into the society and do the same things again. It's also another face of our society that they don't tell you. These are people who commit these acts, murder, pedophilia, rape. They get a slap on the wrist based off the crimes that they commit. They're back out in five years. They're back out in six years. They're back out in two years. All to go out and do the same thing again. The system regurgitates these people. I'm telling you. They regurgitate the people that are in the same classification of a mental state that Michael Myers is in. You cannot rehabilitate him. 
You can't rehabilitate a pedophile. It's their passion. You can't re- rehabilitate a rapist. It's their passion. So in order, in order for us to have real solutions to these problems, we got to come up with some real solutions. And that's oxymoron in what I said, but you have to come up with some real punishments. I mean, even if it means bringing back the death penalty. See, all of these advocating societies or organizational groups that come out and talk about, well, we should get rid of death penalty, we should get rid of electric chair, we should get rid of this and that and the third. That sounds good when you're talking about, that's great when you're talking about freeing the innocent. But it's not so great when you're talking about now I'm allowing somebody who would kill 10 people, go to jail for 25 years and kill 10 more people before he go back. That ain't what we want. But the people who advocate for those things, they don't present those those exclusions on the table because they are because they allow the other parties who say, okay, well, I'll give you that. But we're going to make this equal for every form of people and persons in society. So again, it's kind of one of those things. You know, when we advocate for things or when we allow people to advocate for us for things, we need to dissect what these people are advocating for and who they are allowing to be a part of that that system, be a part of that dynamic. So like when we talk about the fight for justice for people of color, right? Only thing we ask for is, is fairness. Simple as that. Fair. We don't want pedof- we don't want pedophiles on the street either. Even if they even if they are people of color. We don't want pedophiles on the street either. We don't want murders on the street either. Yes, we think they need to be locked up. Yeah, we think they need to have the serious punishments of crime. You know, it's the same dynamics when we talk about these the, the, the armor kill the killing of unarmed black men and women. We have people who will help us advocate for that, but in the same token, they're trying to, they're, when they're speaking for us, they're saying, you know, all lives matter. It's like, no, it don't. No, it don't. Because <laughs> evil don't matter. Evil, evil should not have no place. And if, and if that's your mentality, you know, the thing about evil is simple. You can't rehabilitate it. And there are people on this planet and on this earth who are pure evil. And the things that they do, they will continue to do it. But we can't be like the people in Halloween where 
we're so we're so passionate and thirsty for justice to happen that we allow innocent people to be killed and murdered. See how I burn that back around? If you kept on listening for so far, you see how I just burn that back around, right? And that is the dynamics of the whole entire psychosis or that whole thriller. Is that we can allow pure evil, such as somewhat, you know, like murderers and like uh, mass murderers and pedophiles and rapists, we can allow that those the evil that they do to make us so furious with the system because the system ain't treating them and treating them the way they're supposed to treat them or doing with them way they're supposed to do with them because someone snuck about it that pile and said well I think it's inhumane to kill any human so we need to get rid of death penalty and all if you're a person if you're taking nine lives you need to go. <laughs> you know, you you no longer have a place among those that are living as well because you care none about it. Now again, if you know has you know our hats can go off to people who humbly present themselves in that manner and just have love for all mankind. But we cannot allow that to deter our, deter our dynamics of uh, or, shall I say, infiltrate our fight for equality and for fairness, for the righteousness. You know, we can't allow that to be a part of the conversation. That, hey, that has to be a separate conversation. That has to be a separate thing to deal with. People who are rapists and murderers and pedophiles and stuff like that and wife beaters, that's a separate conversation. You don't belong in this conversation. You don't belong with the talk of, hey, this young innocent man, you know, he killed somebody from self-defense. He deserves a fair trial. He killed somebody because, you know, they were breaking into his home. Or he killed somebody because he was cornered outside. He killed somebody, you know, in a heat of passion. You know, if, you know, or, or things of that nature. Because those things do happen. Those things, those cases, those situations are separate uh, position as opposed to someone who who lives to hunt people, who lives to rape, who lives to be a child pedophile. Feel me? You can't rehabilitate it. And there's so much of that in our system to where they want to try to rehabilitate people like that. And they keep them operating amongst our society because it keeps the people who are humble, it keeps them scared. It is real, I'm telling you now. And the flip side to the system, what it does is 
a lot of people for petty crimes for hundreds of years. They'll lock away they'll lock away up somebody for weed charge for 30 years. Or cocaine charges for 30 years. Forgive a mass murderer, 15. I'm telling you now. <laughs> but once again, you know, the premise of the movie, uh, the movie is iconic, the franchise is iconic. And once again, it, it, the dynamics of it all is simple. You cannot rehabilitate evil. You have to destroy it. We can't allow pure evil to walk amongst our society or be amongst our society and let it affect us all to the point to where we get so infuriated with it being a part of our society that we begin to project that upon each other and innocent people become victims and become more victims and have more innocent people become victims to the same essence of evil. You cannot rehabilitate it. Talk to y'all later.